Okay, so in this episode, I wanted to briefly discuss a conversation I had with one of my friends recently. Well, it was a few weeks ago, but um, it was sort of interesting. Um, one of the things that's interesting about it is simply the... <laughs> basically my friend's knowledge of economics. It's it's kind of weird. It throws me off a little bit sometimes because sometimes he demonstrates a pretty good understanding of economics. Like um, we've had discussions. Sorry, also I'm working right now. So like I might have weird pauses in what I'm saying because I might have to focus on what I'm doing a little bit more. But um, so He's also, I'm not very good at thinking quickly and recalling memories. Like it takes, I'm, especially when I need to articulate it in words, it takes me a little bit and I pause awkwardly sometimes. But anyway, um, so like in, in past conversations, when we've gotten on the topic of economics, um, he's demonstrated a knowledge of things like comparative advantage and absolute advantage um which you know basically nobody subscribes to absolute advantage anymore because it was basically disproven and you know they decided that the theory of comparative advantage was more adequate um but we're not here to get into comparative advantage and absolute advantage that was just an example of an instance where my friend demonstrated a pretty good knowledge of economics, yet in this conversation we had a few weeks ago, it was interesting to me because he demonstrated a basic lack of knowledge of one of the most basic economic uh, sort of uh, concepts that is like one of the most basic things that you learn really early on if you're learning anything about economics. And that is supply and demand. He was in this discussion applying a cost theory of value, which um, the cost theory of value and the labor theory of value go hand in hand. They were theories developed by the classical economists such as Adam Smith and Karl Marx, um, both of them, despite having very different views on market economies, uh, both of them are technically classical economists. Um, and both of them, up until the marginal revolution of 1870, um, both of them, pretty much all economists up until the 1870s applied a theory of cost theory of value or yeah a cost theory of value or a labor theory of value which basically said that um that the value of a good or service is basically determined by the cost of the inputs or the cost of the labor or a combination of both um and so in this discussion I mean, it was sort of just an offhand comment by him, but I was just kind of like, really, dude? This is really basic. You, you've demonstrated at least a basic understanding of economics in the past. How do you not know this? But he was basically at some point complaining he didn't understand why. So he's a much... I'm a pretty big guy. I wear 
3X t-shirts, and he wears small t-shirts. So he's much smaller than me. And he was complaining that he doesn't understand why small t-shirts cost as much as, you know, triple X t-shirts. Why are they, they the same price? And I've never been really good at articulating my thoughts in speech or really good at quickly, you know, sort of trying to um, explain my thoughts, which is part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast, sort of for myself to help myself improve in explaining these things on the fly. But of course, I'm not doing it on the fly because I've been thinking about this for a while, but it'll still help me to sort of put it into words. But anyway, so basically in that moment, I couldn't think of anything much better to say than that I'm pretty sure he's as well aware as I am that the price of something is determined by the... And this was such a dumbass thing for me to say. It was like me making things more complicated than they needed to be. But I said something along the lines, and, and not that it, you know, was an incorrect statement, but it was more comp. It was more complicated a comment than I needed to make it. I could have just said, "Well, it's supply and demand, dude," but instead, I said that the price is determined by the marginal demand relative to the marginal supply or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I had basically incorporated sort of um, Carl Menger's, you know, marginal theory of value into it rather than just going with the full, very simplistic subjective theory of value that implements supply and demand curves that most people are familiar with, which even though in the Austrian school of economics, we don't subscribe to that, you know, supply and demand curve theory. Um, it's still considered in Austrian eco economics a useful tool for explaining prices, um, which is why we tend to go with this uh, marginal theory of value, which is basically that um, people value things subjectively in an ordinal fashion. Uh, so they, they value things they 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 assign values to goods and services in an ordinal manner which basically means you know a lot of economic theories they have this theory of util um utility which basically people almost sort of numerically and in a quantifiable fashion assign a utility value to the things that they value so it's like <coughs> You know, the utility of an apple is like 10, and the utility of an orange is 8, you know, dependent upon the subjective person, you know, deciding upon the value of the goods. Whereas Austrians, we don't assign these numerical values because n nobody in the real world does that. You know, we say, um, you know, we have an ordinal theory of value, which is where we, you know, we acknowledge that people don't assign numerical values of utility to objects or things that they'd like to own. Instead, they order things 
in sort of a list of, okay, so, you know, if I have a dollar, the most important thing I'd like to use that dollar for is water. And then the second most important thing would be an apple. And then the third most important thing would be an orange. And I'm using this in, you know, applying, you know, that's not exactly how it'll usually be explained. Like if you listen to, for example, the, uh, Mises university lectures, they'll apply this to like, okay, if I have, uh, or if I could have, you know, a number of cakes, you know, my first cake, I would like to eat the first cake. My second cake, I would like to give to my wife. My third cake, I would like to give to my children. My fourth cake, um, you know, I would sell, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, we order the value of things in this sort of ordinal matter. Um, shit, where was I going with that? I'm going to have to pause for now because I've now what I was doing with work has finished, so I've got to get that done, and then I'll pick up from here. All right, well, it's a good thing that I stopped there because I almost messed up what I was doing for work. So, uh, anyway, um, hold on a sec. I'm about to mess this up, too, so give me a minute. Um, so... Where was I? I was talking about an ordinal theory of value. Oh, okay. So the weird thing about the conversation on my end w that he rightfully pointed out was that, okay, It the, even so, that still doesn't make a whole lot of sense because, one, the utilization of, the, the amount of fabric utilized in making a small shirt versus a triple X shirt is much less, so the supply should be higher, thus resulting in a lower price. Also, this is America. More, more people are larger than smaller in America. Therefore, the demand for small shirts should also be lower. So the combination of those two things should mean that uh, the small shirts would have a lower price. And that, on its surface, is a fair point. One of my arguments against that was, well, most people... <clears throat> even people such as, my, such as myself who wear triple X shirts will at some time in their life wear a small shirt. Like almost everybody will at some point wear a small shirt, which would increase the demand for it because not everybody at every at any time in their life will er, wear a triple X shirt, but of course a lot of people do wear triple X shirts in America. Um or even larger, or, you know, extra large, whatever. They're all still larger than small shirts. But, uh, anyway. Excuse me, by the way. <laughs> um, let me just focus on this just a sec. Make sure that I did this right. And... 
Okay, I did that right. Um, so, and then the, so the thought that I had after that uh, was that, okay, so one, one of the reasons why despite small shirts using much less fabric than an extra large or triple X or whatever, uh, one of the things that might result in uh, small shirts still commanding a equal price on the market to a triple X shirt is the fact that the producers of the t-shirts know exactly how many, well, not exactly, but they know roughly how many small shirts they sell per year, and they know roughly how many XXX shirts they sell per year. Therefore, they only produce as many as necessary in order to fulfill uh, consumer demands. So... Basically, they're intentionally making sure that they only produce as much as is needed, which would result in the supply basically meeting the demand as closely as possible. Um, the other thing is, so on the point of the shirts using less fabric or more fabric, is that shirts are a very different product from, say, oranges or, you know, like a food product. So, like, when you buy a shirt, you don't... If you're a person that wears a small shirt, nobody buys a triple X shirt because they're like, oh, wow, there's a lot more fabric in this shirt than a small shirt. Therefore, I should buy the one that utilizes more fabric. No one purchases shirts on that basis. Whereas, you might purchase a large pizza as opposed to a small pizza because you're saying, oh, hey, I'm getting a lot more pizza for this than, you know, I am a small pizza. So that's one of the factors in the pricing. Nobody, nobody buys a larger shirt on the basis that they're getting more shirt for the same amount of money. Um, I, I honestly think that's about... All I really wanted to say, let me give it a think real quick. Oh, the other thing I thought of was, um, I, you know, I don't make clothing, um, but my mom, she used to make dresses and stuff when I was a kid, and I saw a lot of the, like, the templates and stuff that she'd use to cut out the fabric she needs to make the dresses or clothing, whatever. She mostly made dresses, um... I think she just preferred dresses, not that they were, like, easier or anything. I imagine a t-shirt would be a hell of a lot easier than a dress. But, um, you know, watching her do that as a kid, you know, making a dress of one size versus another size, you know, you're saving a number of inches that wouldn't really, on a productive scale, amount to enough that you're actually producing more dresses or more shirts by making a smaller dress. For example, like 
And especially when you consider, okay, so because of the way these templates work, even when you're making a small dress, you've got to cut out the same piece of fabric from the same, or you've got to cut out the same piece for the dress from a larger bit of fabric. So, you know, the, the, the arm length might be a bigger factor in how much fabric you have to use than, you know, um, well, not necessarily the arm length, because I believe arms are cut separately and then sewn on. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, it, the, the amount of inches you're saving of fabric to make a small shirt versus a larger shirt might only amount to enough to make an extra shirt for every, you know, 100 shirts or something like that. Probably not every hundred shirts. Well, let's see. So if you're making a large shirt versus a small shirt, you're probably saving, you know, an inch on, well, probably, yeah, probably like an inch. So you're, you know, that's not even, that's like a half an inch for the front piece and a half an inch for the back piece. So, you know, over... I, I don't know the exact measurements, but I, I imagine you'd have to produce a lot of shirts before you're saving enough fabric to produce one extra shirt. So it's probably on a supply side, you know, you're probably making thousands of shirts before you're, before it actually gets you an extra like 10 shirts out of that, which probably isn't enough to actually adjust the prices. Um, and this is partially also why I wanted to talk about the ordinal theory of value that comes from the Austrian school of economics versus the uh, um, the sort of supply curve and demand curve theory, because nobody, when they're pricing goods, well, I mean, some of them are, because a lot of people in business have taken economic classes, so they might be applying this. But I feel like for the most part, when it... And, okay, so, especially when it comes to consumers determining value, because a lot of times, you know, consumers are a big part of determining the value of a good. Uh, give me a minute. So like on the consumer side of determining the value of a good, they're determining the value in an ordinal fashion, even if the suppliers are determining it on a, you know, graph of supply and demand curves. You know, someone that's buying a t-shirt, they're, they're valuing it by making a list of things that they would like to buy or prefer to buy, you know, with that money. Um, so like, say your t-shirt costs $20, you know, then they're valuing it by comparing it to other things that they would prefer to have, or they're valuing it by putting, you know, the t-shirt on a list of goods where that t-shirt might be, and the value of that t-shirt is, you know, determined by where it places on that list. So it's complicated, but 
Let, let me give it a think for a minute. Okay, so, like, when, you know, consumers are, you know, typically when a consumer is buying a shirt, it's usually when they're going shopping, and they're probably, sometimes they're shopping specifically for clothes, but let's say, you know, it's your typical Walmart consumer. They're just going to Walmart, and they're buying a ton of different things, and let's say they've got $200 to spend. The placement of a t-shirt on that list might not be de dependent upon the price, but it also might be. And the question is whether the reduction in the price of a t-shirt moves the t-shirt up the list of goods that they would buy with their $200. Like, you know, the highest priority goods would probably be all of their groceries. And then somewhere further down the list, uh, you know, they, they've got the most high priority. These are the things that I have to have right now. And then, you know, maybe the t-shirt might fall in somewhere around, you know, ordering a pizza tonight for dinner because they're too lazy to cook. Do I want to order a pizza or do I want a t-shirt? And then they've got to decide between those two things. And then the question is whether the t-shirt having a lower price moves it higher up the list than the pizzas. And it very well might. Um, it's, you know, it depends. And then this, all of these ordinal lists of every consumer on the market will determine how many t-shirts are in demand. Um, on the other hand, if they're specifically clothes shopping, then, you know, they might, you know, different consumers shop for clothes in different ways. Some might want to maximize the amount of clothes that they're purchasing. So they're just thinking, okay, I'm going to buy as many t-shirts and pants as I possibly can with the $200 that I'm spending shopping for clothes. Whereas others might say, okay, I specifically want... You know, I'm, I'm shopping for, you know, a certain number of outfits. Therefore, my, you know, my decision on the clothes isn't so much based on how much clothes I can get as the number of outfits I want to complete and how they well, how well they match with each other. So depend, regardless of the price of a shirt they might still be think their 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 basis for the buying of the shirts might not be dependent on the price so much as i want four matching outfits therefore i want four shirts four pairs of pants or you know four dresses whatever um so you know if if a cheap shirt happens to meet their criteria for the outfit then they'll buy the cheap shirt if an expensive shirt meets the criteria then they'll buy the expensive one um, there, there's just too many factors, and this is part of the reason why the Austrians don't really like the sort of mathematical application of supply and demand and, you know, all this stuff to markets. Hold on. All right. I just wanted to let those sirens go by for, before continu continuing to record. But the, you know, um, basically the basis of Austrian economics is that individuals act therefore you cannot calculate the collective uh you know you can't apply collective sort of methods of 
determining things because people don't act as collectives in a market. You know, each individual acts as an ind- individual when it comes to their interaction among the market and the economy. Um, so it's too difficult to calculate because every individual has differing factors in their calculation of how they're going to utilize their resources most efficiently. Um, you can apply general theories in order to get rough estimates of things, but overall it's too difficult to actually calculate. Um, but anyway, I, I guess that's all I really wanted to say for now. I'll catch you later.